Sunday B'Shalach, Shir 120, we are discussing the greatness of the Rishenim. That's where we left off. And we're talking about, we discussed the greatness of the people. Right? We spoke about the greatness of the people by the Rishenim. That's where we left off also. And then we moved on to the greatness of the generations after the Rishenim. So that's what we're holding now. The greatness of what we call the Achreinim. For example, the Ramah, the Marsha, the Bach, Magen Avram, the Taz, the Shach. So it's interesting, like we mentioned last week, these are all Ashkenazim. Ramah, Marsha, Bach, Magen Avram, Taz, and Shach are all Ashkenazim. Last week we discussed Ra, uh, Ramban, Rajba, Ritva, Rambam, those are Svardim, Taisvis, Rosh, Smagentur, Rashkinazim. Shochanarach was a Svardi. Chavis Havamis was a Svardi also. So in the Rishonim, it's mostly Svardim, and here it's Ashkenazim. It's interesting. And the hundreds of thousands of Torah geniuses that illuminated Klal Yisrael, he said to list the works that were published since the invention of printing. You would have to have volumes of Svarim to discuss how many Sfarim were, were printed. In the past four centuries after the Shulchan Aruch was written, the most dynamic and explosive Torah activity has been going on. An amazing analysis. The Klal Yisrael have been producing Torah with the same industry that the bees produce honey. He said everywhere in every town and every place there were groups of people that spent their entire day learning Torah. In the Jewish communities, Taira rang out from the uh, shoals day and night. Talmidei Chacham were everywhere, the Tadera Talmidim were everywhere. The entire nation, Shkaya fulfilled all the laws and customs with exact, perfect. The women were tzaddikim. Boys of all ages learned Taira all day and into the night. Boys who worked spend time learning. The author of the Chay, the author of the Chay Adam, writes in his Hakdama why he wrote his book of Dinim. He said, "Ordinary people who can only spend three hours a day learning can't know practical Dinim." So, an ordinary person, the Chay Adam says, spend three hours of a day learning. Today we would call him a tzaddik, and he spends three hours a day learning. He said, "All men went." to mourning, to Shachras Min including young Cheder boys who came with their teachers. At night, and in the morning also, many men had tables in the shul. They just, different discussions were discussed, were, were uh, being discussed at the same time. One person, one person had his thing that he learned. Many times there was not even a vacant seat for people that came late. Sounds like here. The Bate Medrish were never closed. They davened with such a chashivas. He said, he, he said over that once after Ne'ilah in Slabodke Yeshiva, Reb Itzel Petterberger said that the manner in which we have davened today could be seen 150 years ago in Vilna in this shul of the tailors on a typical Monday and Thursday. 
So we, we could probably say that our Neila is probably the way Slabodke uh, Davent Mincha on a Monday and Thursday, if we're lucky. The Torah in all of its aspects was constantly scrutinized and learned. Great Chachamim gave Shirim. Chachamim learned and dis- learned together. They constantly discussing Torah. Magidim spoke to the population. Tamid Chacham spoke in Torah at Simchas. The person, the people in the house were constantly discussing Torah at the Shabbos table. A traveler would discuss Torah with the person that he met. Merchants who met at fears spent time learning Torah. He says, so it used to be. He said, although somewhat diminished during the last hundred years, he says, this intense enthusiasm of Vedas Hashem continued in Eastern Europe down to World War I. Okay? So, in Eastern Europe it continued. In Germany and the other lands of Western Europe, the last 150 years went the other way. He said, the worst defection from Torah since Claudius Yisrael began, began in Germany. And it spread to the communities in France, Italy, and England, and all the newly settled Jewish communities across the sea. But before World War I, these communities were relatively small compared to the great body of from Jews in Eastern Europe. So to be honest, I don't know my, my geography, I'm not sure. What's Eastern Europe? Russia, Ukraine? And Poland? Poland? So apparently in Russia, he's saying there was much more. Why? Because the Jews were tormented. In the West, where the Yidden had a relatively easier life, it seems to be that impacted them for the negative from Ruchni's perspective. That's what he seems to say. Apparently he's going to elaborate on this. This is one of his big chedushim, Rabbi Vigda Miller. Not everyone agrees with what he says, but he claims he was there. So he saw it. But he, in his words, we're going to see he elaborates on it. But in his words, this is the, uh, Klai, the, the ghettos and the fact that Klaiuso lived under their own jurisdiction was the greatest... Hatzlacha for Klai. So the second they were able to live amongst the Goyim, that was the that was the, the I don't say the downfall. But now technically, one can ask, what about today? Today we live amongst the Goyim, and it seems the Klai is witnessing a great rebuy of Tyre than ever before. And the answer is, it's true, but in conceptually, you know, sometimes we seem to have lost our way. There is a tremendous rebuy of Torah, that's true. But there's also a tremendous rebuy of emphasis on Gashmias and emphasis on things that Klai Yisrael never gave, em- gave emphasis to. And that's really what Bavigdom was talking about. That means there's plenty of people that are learning, absolutely. But the, the intensity and the enthusiasm, that's the word he keeps using. Which if you think about, think about the enthusiasm of learning... It used to be prevalent by every yid. And today it's only by select and chashavayidin that have that fire to learn Tyre. He's going to elaborate on it more, but it's interesting. The way when he starts discussing the it starts hitting closer to home because he explains 
how the world played out. So basically, to summarize what he said till now, the greatest period which was in the era of Nevoah was brought to an end by the Bavliyim, destroying the first Beis HaMikdash. The period of the second Beis HaMikdash and the Tanoim came to an end because of the Romans. The Amiroim was ended by the oppression of the Byzantine in, the, in, the, in, in Eretz Israel and by the Persians in Bavl. The Spanish communities in the first in the Rishonim were wiped out by the church and by the rulers who threw them out. The medieval communities of Central Europe were in many cases destroyed by the Crusaders, the pilgrims, and the other Gentile oppressors. The European Jewish communities which flourished before World War I and II were destroyed by the Goyim. And six million Yidden were worshipped by the Germans and the other nations that went along with them. So the question arises, is it not difficult to understand how the Rabbi allowed the Goyim to destroy the Torah and the Kedusha of these great communities? Seems to be a strong question. He's going to discuss the Germans, I would imagine. That was a little bit different. That was a little bit different. That was a little bit different. He's going to elaborate on this. We'll discuss this tomorrow. Very, very important to understand his shita when it comes to that. But basically, the answer that he gives here before he he, before he he gets into the discussion, he said, Esav bears the blame for his crimes against the Rabbi Nishalelam, against Klal Yisrael, but the Goyim can do no harm unless the Rabbi Shalom was geyser. And this is a concept that we keep repeating. So that means the Goyim had Rishus. Not just Rishus, the Rabbi Shalom was geyser, that that should happen, but the Goyim be a responsibility for it, because they did it. Like we see in Mitzrayim. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the Goyim tortured Klal Yisrael, but Lamaisa, even though it was Xerah, but they were punished for it. And he just begins and he says, do you see, do you think the six million Yidden were so sinful that the Goyim were justified in hating them? Does that make sense? So he says, no. He says, the European Yidden were far more superior to the murderers that killed them. In charity, in morality, in acting like a mensch, they were unequal by any Gentile nation. And they were... He says something very interesting, which is something he keeps... He said, the truth is the Goyim had less of a reason to hate them at that time than where than originally. Meaning, when the Yidin stood out, they had long coats, they, had, they spoke different language, they had beards, they stuck out. That's when the Goyim should hate them more. An old type of Jew with his beard and his long coat should make the guy hate him than the assimilated Jew that appears much closer to the guy. But that wasn't the fact. The guy, the Yidin that the that were killed that, that at least the hate towards the Yidin was to Yidin that looked like Gaya, which is one a big 
now they, they didn't look like Goyim, but they looked more like Goyim than the previous generations of Yidin had looked. But, so really it doesn't make any sense that the most intense hate against the Yidin should take place specifically when there was an assimilation, even if it wasn't assimilation in the sense of marriage, which, which it, it was becoming. Even if it was just an assimilation the way they looked, but they definitely looked more like the Goyim. They lived amongst the Goyim. They went to Goyish uh, uh, colleges, etc. And that should, that should make the Goyim more accepting of the Yid than the original Yid, which lived on their own and nothing to do with the guy, and didn't dress like a guy, didn't talk like a guy. But the Metzius is, that when Claudius Yisrael are loyal, and they stay separate from the guy, and they're protected from mingling with the guy, then the Rebbeinu Shalalim protects them. When Claudius Yisrael doesn't, that's when the Rebbeinu Shalalim has to protect has to protect them in the method of making the Goyim hate us. So when there's a cheshash that we might we might mingle with the Goyim because we are normal and we could fit into society very well, then the Rabbanishlam makes an unfavorable reaction by the Goyim to keep it separate. He's gonna elaborate on this more because there were plenty of Yidden that were killed in earlier generations when the guy when they didn't look when they didn't look like Goyim. So really it's you know it's something we should elaborate on more. But this is his point. He's gonna elaborate on this more from an historical perspective and his the model that he has is that he was a Bucky in history, as he was a Bucky in many other Chachmas. So he has a really uh, bird's eye view of the system. But his point is that he's gonna elaborate on it more, but basically the more the Goyim, the more the Yid looked like the guy, the more anti-Semitism was in this ayur. The less the Yid looked like the guy, the more he stood out, which by nature should make more anti-Semitism, historically made less anti-Semitism. And the reason is because the Rebbein had no reason to be ma'ayur. There's always going to be anti-Semitism. The Rebbein had no reason to bring it to the forefront because the Yidin themselves stayed separate. So basically he's going to elaborate on this more, but basically the greatest shmira against anti-Semitism is to keep yourself separate from the guy. Keep yourself separate from the guy, then the guy will not demonstrate their hate towards you.